I just really appreciate Brandon, uh, his message last Sunday. If you, did, if you missed it, check it out. Go to our website and, and listen to it. I thought he did a fantastic job and just so appreciate people that are willing to fill in for me. It's just such, it's one of the biggest blessings to get a, a Sunday off and to be able to focus on some other things for the church and get some other things done. So really appreciative of him and for his willingness to teach for me. I'm happy today that we get to get back into our sermon series on the book of Daniel. And we, we've titled it, Remaining Faithful in a Faithless World. Because that is a challenge, right? We live in some really difficult times. And I, I don't think we have any reason to believe that they're going to get a ton a ton better in a lot of ways. And so how do we remain faithful in, in, in a world that is bent on... Uh, ignoring God and living as if he doesn't exist. And so what we're going to do is we are going to go back to Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to focus this morning on Daniel's uh, prayer life. We're going to focus on that this Sunday, and we're going to focus on that again next Sunday because I think there's a lot to glean uh, from his his prayer life. Um, just for you that if you're here for the first time or if you haven't been with us in, in a while, let me just give you a quick background uh, to Daniel's story. Daniel, when he was about 15 years of age, living in Jerusalem, the kingdom of Babylon came in and uh, took over and, and, and took Daniel and some other of, of Jerusalem's best and brightest to back to Babylon uh, to serve uh, the, the wicked King Nebuchadnezzar. And the, Daniel was placed in a very godless culture, a very pagan culture. And what we've found as we've journeyed through the first six chapters of the book of Daniel is that Daniel thrived despite his circumstances. And his story is, is really quite remarkable of how faithful he was to God. And yet, simultaneously, he was able to be such a blessing to the Babylonians and even to the wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar. And so what happened to Daniel is he kept getting promoted. He kept rising in the ranks there in the kingdom. And right now in Daniel chapter 6, King Darius wants to put him in charge of the entire empire. And you have to remember, this was the world's superpower of the day. The Babylonian empire was it. They ruled the world. And so we're going to camp out again in Daniel chapter 6, and we are going to find out exactly why Daniel was a man of such extraordinary character and leadership ability. We're going to learn about his secret. Because I think when we read a story like Daniel, I think what we often do in our minds, I know I can do this sometimes, is I can think, well, Daniel, you know, I don't know if I can be like Daniel. Daniel just seemed to be like not a mere mortal like me. But really, he was just another guy uh, like you and me. He was a person that dealt with sin. He dealt with temptations. He had struggles. He had weaknesses. And so I think the reality is Bible greats like, like Daniel, Bible greats like Moses and Abraham, you know, we can be great too. We can be like them 
in a, in a lot of ways. Because I, I, I don't want us to have this mentality that oh, we just why even try to be like a Daniel? He's just so far above us. But no, no, he was a human being just like we are. So what I want to do is let's pray, and then we'll start our look back at uh, Daniel chapter 6. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to have another Sunday to come together as a family and worship you. God, you are so amazing. You are so good. And you are perfectly holy, perfectly righteous. You love perfectly. And you have chosen to love us and to shower your blessings upon us. Lord, we are so grateful for that. Lord, we can never thank you enough for everything you've done for us. And what the biggest blessing, you know, as we reflect on all of your blessings, is you choosing to send your son for us so that we could be rescued from our sin, so that we could be given a new life in you, so that we could be transformed into your image by the work of your Holy Spirit that lives in us. We are so grateful for that. Lord, help us to really get a glimpse of what Daniel's secret was to his extraordinary life. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and that our hearts would be receptive to your Spirit's work in us this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I think you all know by now that I'm an avid reader. I'm always reading. And I always have a stack of books next to my bed that, that I'm working through. And I think the reason why I enjoy reading so much is because I just enjoy learning so much. God has given me such a hunger and a desire to learn, and I love to figure things out and come to a level of understanding. I've found this, this is what I've found, that the more I know about the world around me, the more I'm able to worship God for who he is, who has created the world. The more I understand his handiwork, the more I'm able to just be in awe of how amazing he is. For me, knowledge and learning leads, leads to worship. Uh, one writer has said this, if all truth is God's truth, then every ology is a branch of theology. Think about that. Last week, Brandon, he was talking about the advances in neuroscience and just some spectacular discoveries that people are making in this area, that our brain has this neuroplasticity that it, our brain is able to actually reorganize itself as it forms new neural connections and it actually physically can change over time and throughout our life. I read last week that according to neurologists, our brains have a storage capacity of approximately 2.5 petabytes. That's the equivalent of recording 300 million hours of high-definition television. We have the capacity to learn something new every second of every minute of every hour of every day for thousands of lifetimes. And the three-pound supercomputer inside our craniums runs on less power than a 20-watt light bulb. Isn't that phenomenal? 
Like, doesn't that make you just want to worship God having that knowledge of he's created this, this, this blob of goo inside of us that is able to do that? It's just phenomenal. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by an amazing creator, aren't we? So I love to read, and I love uh, learning, and as I said, I got this stack of books by my bed that uh, is constantly being added to as I finish a book, and one of the books that has made it to the top of my list is a national, or top of my stack, is this national bestseller titled The Seven Habits, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. I don't know if you've heard of the book. Most of you may have. Uh, some of you here may have read it. Some of you may remember when it came out in 1989. You may remember when it came out. It has influenced many leaders over the years. In fact, I was telling Mary about this, and um, she said that they're actually going to be painting on a wall in her school the, the seven habits. So this, this is something that schools have even adopted and are teaching to students. But the, the whole premise of the book is that highly effective people have the habit of being proactive. They begin with the end in mind. They put first things first. Lead teams in an effective and efficient way. They seek first to understand, then to be understood. And who collaborate, they have a habit also of collaborating with others to seek innovative ways to solve problems. This is what Stephen Covey said are the seven habits of highly effective people. If you were to go to Forbes.com and you would look, if you type in and you look for what are the habits of very successful people, what sets apart successful people from non-successful people, you will find things that are really basic. They take time for exercise. They get enough sleep. They get up early. They avoid lengthy meetings. How about that? Amen to that. They eat a good breakfast. Now, Daniel, he may have done some of these things, right? But he had a secret to his success that you're not going to find in the books, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You're not going to find on Forbes.com either. And so let me read to you Daniel 6, verses 10 through 16, and we're going to discover this habit that Daniel implemented that was the bedrock of his amazing character and leadership ability. So let me read to you Daniel 6, verses 10 through 16. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king. And spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true 
according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself, set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Now or know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And so in this passage right here, we have the secret habit to Daniel's success. And not that it was a secret, but we, we, we find the habit that was, I should say, the secret to Daniel's success. And that was that he was a prayer warrior. Daniel, his secret to his greatness was that he had the habit of engaging in prayer. You know, out of all the habits that Daniel could have engaged in, prayer was at the top of his list. It was so important to him. I just think this is remarkable, that the habit of prayer for Daniel was so important to him that he would not stop praying for just 30 days. He would rather choose to be in a lion's den than stop praying to his God for 30 days. Do you value prayer like that? Daniel did. It was so important to him. It was such, it was so foundational to his life that he could not live a day without it. You know, um, habits such as getting up early or eating a good breakfast or avoiding long meetings or, you know, uh, starting with the, the, the most important task first in a day, those habits may make us successful people in the world, but they're never going to be able to shape us into people that are great in the kingdom of God, that bear great spiritual fruit in this world to impact the hurting people of this world. Only prayer can transform us into those kinds of people. You know, the book of Daniel, as we've journeyed through the first chapter or six chapters, it's really made this clear that there are two kingdoms in the world. There are really only two teams in the world. There's the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, and there's the kingdom of light, the, the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of darkness of Satan is behind all of the evil and the pain and the suffering in the world. And the kingdom of God is behind all of the renewal that's taken place in the world, all the good that's taken place in the world, all of the healing that has taken place in the world. You know, any place that God, what God wants to be done is being done, that's where the kingdom of God is manifesting itself. Where God's rule and reign is manifesting itself, there is the kingdom of God. And if we want to be a part of God's kingdom, if we want to be a part of God's kingdom, overcoming the kingdom of darkness, 
if we want to see his rule spread into the hearts of the people of our city, if we want to see his rule and reign spread into the systems of our city, the structures of our, our city, the culture of our city, into the schools of our area, into the businesses of this county, we have to have prayer as a habit. The battle is going to be won on our knees. Do you know where Daniel won the battle over the lion's den? Long before he ever got in the lion's den. He won the battle on his knees. That's where we will win the battle for God's kingdom expansion is on our knees. Let's look at three very, very practical aspects of Daniel's prayer life that I think we would do very well to imitate. So number one, Daniel's prayer life was disciplined and consistent. Daniel used his body to engage his heart in prayer. Daniel prayed in a place where he could be alone and undistracted. Daniel's prayer life was disciplined and consistent. Daniel used his body to engage his heart in prayer. Daniel prayed in a place where he could be alone and undistracted. Let's look at that first one. Daniel's prayer life was disciplined and consistent. So Daniel 6.10 tells us, In his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. So it was Daniel's practice to pray three times a day. And he had been doing it since he was young, since the days of his youth. You know, many followers of Jesus before and after Jesus walked on this earth followed the same practice. The Psalms speak of prayer in the morning, in the early hours, in the evening, and at, at day and at night. The author of Psalm 119 says that seven times a day I praise you. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus, he often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Acts 1.14 tells us that the early church devoted themselves to prayer. The Apostle Paul, he exhorts us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he tells us to pray without ceasing, right? In, the wor- in God's word, he makes it clear that we need to have prayer as a way of life for us. Now, perhaps you're thinking, well, Daniel, he must have had more time than what we have. And I don't think so. I think Daniel's calendar was just as full as our calendar. Daniel, he, you know, throughout his whole career serving in the Babylonian kingdom, he had a high-profile job with great responsibilities, I think his calendar was just as full of, as ours, and maybe it was even fuller. But if you think about it, if you have a full calendar with a lot of important things on your schedule, doesn't, that ma- doesn't it make sense then we should be praying all the more and spending more time in prayer because there's more important things to be praying about? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, Daniel, if he prayed three times a day every day, he must have just always felt like praying. But I'm willing to bet that out of the 1,092 times that Daniel prayed in a year, 
there were plenty of times where he didn't feel well, and he still prayed. There were plenty of times where he felt exhausted, and he still prayed. I'm, I'm sure there were plenty, plenty of times where he just felt the pressure of his to-do list and still prayed. Now, maybe you're thinking, I, I just don't like times, planned times of prayer. I like to just pray, you know, spontaneously when I, when I feel like it and I feel the Spirit is leading me to do it. You know, I like spontaneous prayers. Well, you know what? Spontaneity is, well, I, well I'll say this. Discipline is not the enemy of spontaneity. Just really in any sphere of life, actually discipline allows us to be spontaneous in our prayers. So, and we see this in other areas of life. Um, Take the jazz musician, the jazz guitarist, for instance. The reason why he's able to get together with a group of guys and just spontaneously play and improvise over a chord progression is because he has spent hours upon hours understanding the different chords, the notes that make up the chords, the the harmonies that are found within those chords. And so his, his discipline of studying for hours and hours has led him to be able to be spontaneous and improvise and be free to do that. Think of LeBron James. I mean, the guy is having a phenomenal playoff, you know, playoffs. He's uh, just, he's besting himself, which is hard to do. It's one for the ages. You know, what makes LeBron able to spontaneously make adjustments when he has the ball with 10 seconds left in the game, and it's a tie game, He's able, what allows him to spontaneously read the defense, make adjustments, and then work to find the best shot? Well, it's the hours and the hours of shooting drills, footwork drills, dribbling drills, film study that he puts in. The discipline of all that allows him to play in a spontaneous way in very difficult circumstances. You see, discipline and structure is not the enemy of spontaneity and creativity. It's, it burrs spontaneity. It gives birth to spontaneity and creativity. You know, when Daniel found out that his life was on the line, he was able to spontaneously just go to God in prayer. He didn't have to start praying. He didn't have to figure out how to pray or what to say or uh, what he shouldn't say. Because of his disciplined prayer life, he just went and he prayed and it came out naturally. You know the people who are able to most easily pray on the spot are the ones that have a disciplined prayer life. You know, I don't know if there's a magic number for how many times we need to be praying in a day or a week or a month or a year. And I guess all I know is it needs to be disciplined and it needs to be consistent. It should be a habit. Like Daniel, prayer just needs to be a way of life for us so that when difficulty and tragedy strike, because it's going to strike, our knee-jerk reaction 
like Daniel, is to go to God in prayer. It's not like, oh my goodness, I need to start praying and I need to figure out even how to begin praying. And so I ask you this morning, do you have a prayer plan? Do you have a prayer plan? If you have a plan, are you executing that plan? And I ask you, is it enough? Just uh, about a year ago, God really convicted me and really shown me that uh, Mary and I, we were not praying enough together. We weren't praying much at all together. We had our own times of prayer individually, but we weren't praying together as a married couple. And so we made an adjustment. You know, at the end of every day, unless she's in a meeting or I'm at a meeting or we pray together. And it's short. It's not long. And it's simply, what's on your heart right now that we need to pray for? What's on my heart that we need to pray for? And we, we sit and we pray together. And a lot of times, it's you guys that are on our hearts that we're praying for. But that's just been a powerful time for us. And there are plenty of nights when we don't feel like praying. But it's like we've got to see prayer as this pill that if we don't take it every day, we're going to die. Like that's how you got to, for me, that's what it takes for me to see the, ne- the, the necessity and the importance of it. And so it's like we got to do this. We got to do it whether we feel like it or not, whether we're exhausted or not. Got to do it. Number two, so consistent and disciplined, your prayer life needs to be. That's how Daniel's was. Number two, Daniel used his body to engage his heart in prayer. Verse 10 tells us that Daniel prayed on his knees. He also prayed facing Jerusalem. I'll I'll tell you more about that next Sunday. The posture of your body in prayer matters. You know why it matters is because it has a way of engaging your heart. Um. Just this past week, the elders and I, we were on our knees praying together. And it was a reminder to me, because this isn't a regular practice for me personally to get on my knees and pray. But it was a reminder to me that our body posture in prayer matters. And it's a reminder to me that I need to do that more. Because getting on your knees before God, you know what it does to your heart? It reminds you that you need to be surrendered to God. It reminds you that Jesus is the Lord of your life and you are not. It reminds you that he is the one that deserves your worship. You need to bow down to him. It reminds you that his ways are so much higher than your ways. It reminds you that his wisdom is exponentially greater than my wisdom and your wisdom. It reminds you that, man, I am bowing down between or before a holy and righteous God. And the only reason that I'm able to approach this throne of grace is because what Jesus has done for me in enabling that to happen. And so there's something about getting on your knees and praying to God. Jesus, you've made me worthy. I'm not worthy, but you've made me worthy. Jesus, I'm not righteous, but you've made me righteous. Not my will, but your will. Your will, your way, your time. That's what that body posture says. 
to my heart when I got in that posture. Daniel knew this. Daniel knew that your posture, your body posture and praying engages the heart. And so I ask you, when's the last time you got on your knees and prayed? When was the last time? And if that posture can't work for you because you can't get on your knees, when was the last time you just prayed and lifted your hands to God in prayer as, as a way of engaging your body that I am receiving from the God of heaven in this moment? Nice thing about praying on your knees and praying with your hands raised is it's hard to be distracted for too long in your prayer time. Because your arms are going to get really heavy really quickly, and your knees are going to start hurting. It's a, you start feeling that pain, it's like, oh, I was getting off. I was distracted. All right, let me bring it back, right? Not too long ago, and maybe this isn't the posture for you, raising your hands on your knees. Not too long ago, I started running, right? I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm at that age where guys start running. Right? That's like the, I've found the 30 to 40-year-old thing to do. I've always hated running. I love playing basketball, but just to go run, just to run never sounded great to me. Right? So, But, hey, I'm looking for a different exercise. I'm going to go run. Um, and I made a mistake because I, started, I went out running in some raggedy old shoes that didn't have any tread on them. And what ended up happening is I ended up hurting my knees doing it. I was thinking, you know what, guys in Kenya, they like run in bare, they don't run with any shoes on. Surely I'm going to be all right in these old raggedy Nikes. I don't want to go drop over $100 on a pair of shoes if I'm not even going to like it and get into it. So I paid for that. But you know what was awesome about the posture of running? And the straining that took place as I ran, it was perfect for me to pray to Jesus. I ran with Jesus. And you know what that, that, that physical exertion did for me? I found myself praying that I would run the race of faith well. That I would push and strain through difficult circumstances as I sought to follow Jesus with everything I've got. I was praying, God, enable me to be faithful to the very end. Don't allow me to be disqualified from the race that I'm on in this journey of faith. Maybe you need to explore different body postures for praying. I found out that laying down doesn't work for me. I don't know about you. You know, what's, you know what I'm enjoying the most right now? is, and I've been doing this for a couple years, but I journal when I pray. I write out my prayers because it keeps me focused. And if I'm on my patio looking, and we have a beautiful view behind our house, if I'm on my patio with a, with a great, nice cup of coffee with my journal in hand, oh, man, I'm in it. It's the, it's the best way for me to be praying. Body posture has a way of engaging our heart. Number three, Daniel prayed in a place where he could be alone and undistracted. Verse, tell, verse 10 tells us that Daniel prayed in the upper room. The upper room, back in these days, houses were built. They had a flat roof, and then they had a, roo or a room on top of that roof. Usually in, in the corner, one of the corners of the roof, there was a room, or there was a tower that, that went up. And this room was reserved for guests that came and stayed with them. 
So you Curzons, you would be staying on top of the roof in the upper room, you who are visiting here. But there were windows that had lattice on them, and the Babylonian, you know, it, back in Babylon, it was often very warm, and you would get a nice breeze up there in the upper room. And so people would go there um, when they didn't have guests staying with them. They would go up to the upper room for some silence, for some solitude, for uh, a time just to pray. Um, we see this in the book of Acts, don't we? We repeatedly find Jesus' followers praying in an upper room. It's the, it was the room furthest away from the hustle and bustle of the streets and the commotion of the house downstairs. Just as our body posture matters in prayer, so does the space in which we pray in. You know, it's really hard for us to focus on God if our kids are constantly there needing something. It's amazing how you sit down to do a devotion and all of a sudden your kids need everything, right? It's really hard to focus on God and have conversation with him if your phone is constantly buzzing and ringing and dinging in your hand. It's really hard if we're in a noisy place or if our work is all around us just begging for our attention or if we're praying inside our house where it's just messy. And all you can think about is, i got to clean this up. I can't even focus right now. Or if there are people around that you can watch. Who, who doesn't love people watching? I mean, that's all I'm going to do once I retire. That's it. I'm going to hang out at malls, and I'm going to watch people, and I'm going to have Annie M's pretzels. That's what I'm going to do. I think of the war room, Right? You guys seen the movie The War Room? She had a closet she prayed in. The lady we bought our house off of, there was a dark room in our basement, I think where her husband, you know, developed, you know, pictures. That was her prayer closet, we, we found out. So where are you praying? Maybe your prayer life is suffering simply because you don't have a good uh, place to pray in. Like Daniel, do you have an upper room that works for you? Daniel's prayer life was disciplined and consistent. He used his body to engage his heart in prayer. He prayed in a place where he could be alone and undistracted. As we take communion today, here's what I want you to remember. Remember that Jesus' great sacrifice for us allows us to pray to God in the first place. That if it wasn't for his death in our place, the veil in the temple would have never been torn in two. Matthew 27, 51 tells us that immediately after Jesus breathed his last, the veil was torn. And what God was saying and proclaiming when that veil was torn, he was proclaiming that all who acknowledge their sin... All who turn away from it and trust that Jesus paid for it and receive Jesus' righteousness through faith are now able to boldly approach the throne of God. We are now able, because of Christ's sacrifice, to have an intensely intimate and an intensely, intensely personal relationship with God. We no longer have to have some sort of priest you know, approach God for us because we have the high priest, Jesus Christ, 
who's done everything to make us reconciled to God. And when we consider this great sacrifice that Jesus has made to make it possible for us to approach God's throne, isn't it a shame and isn't it such a tremendously sad thing that we don't take advantage of it? That there are many Christians who do not have a consistent and disciplined prayer life. When Jesus paid so much so that we could have it. You know, if you've repented of your sin, if you've trusted that Jesus' death for your sin and his perfect life, you know, credited to your account makes you right with God, then we invite you to the communion table. If you haven't repented and believed, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus to deal with your sin problem and to reconcile you to God, why not trust him today, this morning, right now? You know, God loves you so much, and he desires to have a relationship with you. And you can right now in your seat, you can, you can just cry out to him inside of your hearts, and you can pray for God to forgive you of your sin, and he will. And you can pray uh, uh, by thanking him that he sent his son for you. And you can pray and ask him to come and live inside of you to help you to follow him with all the days of your life. You can do that right now. And if you make that decision today, we invite you to join us in communion. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good to us. God the Father, we, we are so grateful that you have sent your Son. That where our sin ran so deep, your grace ran deeper still. Where we were separated from you because of our uncleanly, our uncleanness before you. You came to deal with it to make us clean, to make us acceptable, to make us holy and righteous in your sight so that we could be one with you again. Lord, thank you that you have given us the privilege and the honor to pray to you. Lord, I pray that we would take advantage of that, that we would see prayer as just as important as eating food each day to be able to live and to be sustained and that it would be that pill, that, that, that medication that we have to take or, or we'll die. I pray that it would be that serious to us. Lord, forgive us for not taking advantage of something that you paid such a great price to provide for us. Forgive us for our prayerlessness. Forgive us for not fighting the battles of our life on our knees. Lord, make us a body that has such a culture of prayer that we, we just, everything we do is just covered in prayer. As we reach out to the city, we're winning the battle before the events that we do on our knees in prayer. Lord, I pray that prayer would become even more a part of our services on Sunday morning. I pray that prayer would become such a part of each person's life here this morning that they would have a plan. It would be a good plan, and they would execute it, that they would have your power to engage in prayer even when they don't feel like it. Help us to be people of prayer. Help us to be a Daniel. Lord, we thank you for these elements that we're about to pass out and how they remind us 
of your blood that was poured out for us and your body that was broken for us. And Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that has not given, turned their life over to you, we pray that today would be the day that they would do that now and that they would join us at the communion table. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.